0: Lord, uh, we, before we start, um, the thing that is on my mind this morning is just how amazing your love is, how wonderful and how marvelous your love is, um, and that we are so blessed because we, 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 we are recipients of such amazing love, and everything that we talk about here this morning Though sometimes as, as uncomfortable as it may become, you are showing us because you love us. So, Lord, at the end of the sermon, it is our prayer that may our love for you deepen. And as a result of our love being deepened, for our love for you deepened, may you change our wills and our emotions so that we will conform to how you see things and do how, and live how you want us to live. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are um, continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is, um, is Jesus' description of what a citizen of his kingdom looks like. And not only a description of what a citizen of his kingdom looks like, but how his people ought to live in this world. It is a description of what a saved person looks like, and the ethics of the saved person, right? Once again, I'm big into definitions. The reason why I think I'm, I'm pretty good at meat job as a lawyer is um, I define everything. And definitions, definitions are important because if we don't define things, if we don't know what clearly what Jesus talks about, then we just kind of like, muddle through life having a vague notion of what he, what he says, so the Sermon on the Mount, the reason we started the Sermon on the Mount is a Jesus' clear description of what a Christian looks like and how a Christian ought to live. So what is the ethics of the Christian? Right? Is it the reason why God has placed you in this time in history, it is so. And, and, and the reason why he has placed you among the people of your life, is because he wants you to live ethically amongst them. One of the chief reason why I created you. It is by placing you among the people in your life. He wants you to treat them, love them, as He has loved them. I know some of you complain about your jobs, of where you are. Right? I know some of you complain about your family situation. But you need to have, have a bigger perspective. The reason why God has placed you in the job that so dissatisfies you, it is so that you will learn how to love those people the way he loves those people. That's it. He didn't give you that job for, so, so that your name can be praised. He didn't give you that job, I don't know, so that you could have a good old retirement plan. The primary reason why he gave you that job it is so that you will love those people whom you cannot love. What Jesus has called us to do and what the Sermon on the Mount clearly tells us, if Jesus has called us to love people very carefully and very righteously. The call of every Christian is to love people carefully and righteously. Why carefully? When you have something that is very valuable, right? You treat it very carefully, don't you? If you have like a $200,000 car, you're not gonna like take it to, I don't know, some wood somewhere and like get it scratched and stuff. No, you're going to take it, you're going you're gonna to value, you're going to take good care of it. The more valuable you, it is, the more care that you take into it. And the reason why God wants us to treat people very carefully is because human beings, I don't care whether you like them or not, objectively speaking, human beings are the image bearers of God. They are the only creatures in this world that reflects God. The reason why God has placed human beings in this world, it is so that through the human, the world will see who God is. For example, I really, the thing that, one of the people that I admire the most, and, you know, one of the reasons why I respect my wife so much, is because she's an artist. I really, I really appreciate artists. People who can draw, people who can create, people who can play music because I can't do any of that, right? But the reason why I appreciate them so much is because the reason why God has given those people creative abilities, it is to show the world, right, to to show the world that this person who creates is a reflection of the God who ultimately creates. The reason why we're able to create something beautiful with our hands is because we're made in the image of the ultimate creator, the ultimate artist right? The reason why there is laws in the world, every society has laws, and the reason why there's laws in this world is because, and the reason why human beings make laws is because we are made in the image of the ultimate lawgiver. God is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order, and because we bear his image, we cannot help but to order things. The reason why we can talk, the reason why we can communicate it's because we're made in the image of a God who communicates. Right? Girl, Ricky told me, do you know plants down there, they communicate with each other? Ricky's big into farming, right? And every time he talks, he talks about farming. And evidently, all the grasses and all the soil down there, they communicate each other. The synopsis of your brain communicate with each other. We are living in a reality, it's full of communication. The reason why we can communicate We can talk, we can listen, we can understand. Because we're made in the image of the great communicator. I don't care what a human being is. I don't care whether you like that human being or not. That human being is valuable because they're made in the image of God. They're the image bearer of God. There's nothing in this world, there's nothing in this universe that is a bearer of the image of God besides a human being. The people that annoy you, the people that you can't get along with right now, the people that you hate right now. That person is like the only, is part of the creation that is the only image bearer of God. Therefore, God says, Jesus says, treat them very carefully, treat them righteously. Husband, Treat your wives very carefully and righteously. Wives, please treat your husbands very carefully. Your husband's sensitive. He cries in the bathroom. You know what I'm talking about, guys. Very carefully and righteously. If you're dating someone... For the love of God, treat your girlfriend and boyfriend carefully and righteously. Treat your parents carefully and righteously, your co-workers carefully and righteously, for that is God's will for you. The reason why he has created you, it is so that you can treat people carefully and Righteously. That's the purpose of your existence. What does it mean to care for people righteously? That's what Jesus talks about in in chapter 5 of Sermon on the Mount. And that's what we talked about last week. One of the ways that you treat people righteously is you don't get angry at them. You don't blow up at them. One of the ways that you treat people righteously is you don't dehumanize them. And you don't pass condemnation on them. That's what it means to treat people righteously. So as I was preparing for this, this morning, I was always like thinking about the sermon. The movie Star is Born came into mind. Have you seen that movie? Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, right? Yeah? Didn't like it very much. Anyway, but there's one scene, right? So in the beginning of the scene, when they first meet, right? The Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, it became really real. They have like this heart-to-heart. And Lady Gaga told Bradley Cooper, you know, I'm very, people say I'm very talented. But they said I can't make it because my nose is too big. So she confesses to Bradley Cooper that she thinks she's ugly. And Bradley Cooper tells her, what are you talking about? I think you're, I think you're beautiful. Let me get a look at you. You know that line? And they go? Oh, like, oh Right? One hour later into the movie, as all movies go, they fight, right? Bradley Cooper is jealous of her success and all that stuff. And in the midst of their fighting, you know what Bradley Cooper tells Lady Gaga? I think you're ugly. An hour before, when they were all intimate and lovely, let me get a look at you. I think you're beautiful. When jealousy enters the picture. I think you're ugly. That's what we do, right? That's what we do, especially to the people that we love. As good as our intent is, as good call, God has called us to be careful and righteous to people. We don't do that. In fact, the world is a mess because we don't treat people righteously. Righteously. Did you know that? The reason why your life is a mess and my life is a mess, the reason why the whole world is a mess, is not because Donald Trump is president, despite what the media says. But it's because people don't treat each other righteously. The reason why there's a problem in your marriage is because you don't treat your spouse righteously. You're not careful with them. But what is God's love for us? God's love for us is very righteous. He's very careful. What is God's love for us? He takes sinners like us. And he loves us and forgives us and heals us and gives us new life. That's the love of God, isn't it? And the best example of the love of God in my mind, and I think I, I give this example every year, is God's love shown through Hosea's love for Gomer. I think there's some of you who have never heard, you know, the Gomer illustration. And some of you have heard it for so... If you have heard it multiple times, forgive me, right? You can just, you know, freeze out a little bit. But God's love for mankind and his people is really well illustrated through Hosea's love for Gomer. And for those of you who don't know, Hosea was a minor prophet living in the Old Testament Israel time. And what God, one day, prophets have direct communication with God. And one day, God calls Hosea, says, hey, Hosea, you know that woman Gomer? Gomer has a lot of friends in town. She's a very popular lady in town. You know what I'm talking about? She has many guy friends. Right? comprende? So... So that Gomer is Miss Friendly of town. What I want you to do is to go marry her and love her. Come again. Go marry Miss Friendly and make her your wife. Hosea goes and marries Gomer. Hosea is really good to Gomer. Hosea takes her to Seoul Korean Barbecue. Right, and get the you know A menu, not the B menu, but the A menu with all the steak. You know what I mean? Right, Jose, uh, you know, call one eight hundred flowers like one month before the anniversary. Not like good old PJ who does it like twenty-four hours before. He's really good to her, and she's so touched, and he loves her, and she and she she kind of loves her, lo- loves him. But then the desire kicks in. And Gomer goes out and starts to have an affair with a guy in town. Not only has she has an affair with a guy in town, she gets pregnant with the guy's child. God tells Hosea, Hosea, go after her. Come again? Go after her, forgive her, go after her. Hosea goes after her takes care of her, and, her and, and, and the baby, even though the baby's not his. I think the name of the kid is, that's not my kid. <laughs> I, I think that's true. Look at the Bible. I think, he, it's a little bit bitter, the name of this kid. Ain't my kid, right? And so he raises the kid and her and loves her. Gomer is touched. But Gomer, a few years, time passes, The old itch starts itching. Gomer goes out, has another affair, has another kid. God says, go after her, love her. So he does. Until one day, Gomer says to Hosea, I found the love of my life. He's my soulmate. You know how those soulmates go, ladies? He understands me like no man can. He's my daddy figure, boyfriend figure, all rolled in one. This is love. I'm leaving you. And by the way, raise these kids that I have with the other men. Can you raise them, please, while I find my freedom? So she leaves. Jose is stuck with three kids, including, ain't my baby. You know what I mean? That's it, right? Uh, he, he's, he's done all he can, Hosea, Hosea, Hosea did, right? But then God says, Gomer is being the guy that Gomer ran off with, Mr. Husband and Boyfriend and El rolled into one, has abandoned her and has sold her to slavery. Go rescue her. So Hosea goes to town. Gives her, I think, two silver silver or something. And he goes with the money, and he goes to the trade show, and he, he sees his wife naked, being objectified and treated like scum by a man. He pays for her, and he says, let's go. Brings her back home. That's how God treats human beings. That's the love of God. And this love of God is shown in Jesus' interaction with sinful women too. Jesus has multiple interactions with sinful women. Women who are also very popular in their town. People who shun them. People who, men use them, and because men use them, the people around town condemn them. There is a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. There's a woman, you know, in Luke chapter 7 who, who, who broke a bottle of perfume and wiped it. All she could do when she saw Jesus was start crying because she knows that she is unworthy. So she breaks the perfume and wipes the perfume, cleans Jesus' feet with that perfume. John chapter 8 talks about Jesus' interaction. You know, the Pharisees wanted to condemn, like, trap Jesus. So he took, takes, they, take, they take a woman who was caught in adultery. Brings them to, in the middle of the town to Jesus, to Jesus and says, Jesus, this woman slept with someone else's husband. What, am I, what are we supposed to do? And what did Jesus do? He didn't say anything, draws a line and says, and starts writing things. We don't know what he wrote, he wrote things. And he says, Whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. So all these women, just like Gomer, they're just like Gomer very complicated, broken sexual history. People consider these women scum and dirty. But what does Jesus do? He looks at them, interacts with them, he loves them, he forgives them, he heals them, he gives them life. By the way, what these women did Let's be honest. They're horrible things. What these women did, sleeping with other people's husbands, they did horrible things. They, did, they really did. Jordan Peterson, right, the Canadian psychiatrist, the conservative, think big think thinker, right? He was a clinical psychiatrist for almost 25 years. And he says, Among all my patients, he says, the worst thing that I've seen. The worst thing that another human being can do to another human being is to cheat on another human being. The worst thing that that a human being can ever do against another human being is for spouses, people in committed relationship, to betray their significant other. It is because, he says, when you betray your significant other, you're not just committing this one bad act, but you're uprooting that person's reality. You are causing chaos. That person is in a spiritual spiral for years if you do that. These women did that. As lovely as what Hosea did for Gomer, imagine the anguish of Hosea's heart. It took took him a lifetime to love her. It took Hosea a lifetime of heartbreak to love Gomer because what Gomer did was so horrible. That woman who wiped Jesus' feet with, with perfume she did horrible things. She slept, she sold her body, she slept with other people's husbands. Imagine that you're the wife of that person that that person cheated on with this woman. Imagine you're a child of that person, one of those people that, che- that, 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 that your dad cheated on with that woman. It's a horrible, horrible thing that, they, that, that they've done. It's a horrible thing that the men they did things with her also did horrible things. But it was a horrible thing. And I think they rightly deserve judgment. Jesus doesn't just forgive their sins, right? Jesus doesn't just like say, oh, you knock ahead, don't do it again. He doesn't do that. He, he can forgive them because he knows that he's going to die for them. He knows that the horrible thing that they have done and the sorrow that they have, they have caused, He's going to love them enough to die for them. All the penalty that they have incurred because of, because of their sins, Jesus took on the cross. And because He did, He can love them. He can heal them. He can restore them. He can give them life. And that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. Even now, that's what he does. You know, prayer and prayers night on Friday. Good old Ricky gave a testimony, right? And, oh, I mean, if you want to listen to it, ask Ricky. But it's an amazing thing. And by the way, that was the most objective like, testimony I've ever heard. Right? That wasn't like, oh, you know, like I, I got into a car accident and God, like God saved me. It wasn't a, it was the most well systematically thought out testimony I've ever heard. Right? But one thing was clear. Ricky is not the guy that he was. Ricky is a new man. And I didn't tell him this. After the you know service was over, I looked at him with such loving eyes. Phil caught me. <laughs> he laughed at me and go what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, and it's not, it's not because I love Ricky as much as I do, right? But it's because I was just amazed at what God has done for him. He took this young man who was in a dark place, who did dark things, and he loved him, and he forgave him, and he gave them a new life. And that is what he done for all of us. You know, this morning, yet as of yesterday, this morning, I can't think of. This song just keeps like coming in my mind over and over again. You know that song. I stand amazed in the presence. You know, of Jesus the Nazarene. And wonder how He can love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Singing, how marvelous, how wonderful. And shall and what and wonderful and what? How does it go? And so my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. That is the love of Christ. He loves like that. We are loved like that. What lust is, lust is opposite of that. Lust is the opposite of the marvelous, wonderful love of Jesus Christ. The love of Christ forgives It heals, it restores, it gives life. What lust does, lust destroys, it damages, and it sucks the life out of the person. The reason why we need to talk about, before we talk about lust, we need to talk about the love of Christ. Because what lust is is such a complete opposite of who he is. When Jesus says, when Jesus warns against lust, a couple of things. Number one, he he doesn't mean appreciating someone's beauty is not lust. That's not what lust is. I can look at Sean Kim and say, you're a beautiful man. I'm not lusting after Sean Kim. Right? What lust is, the definition of lust, is over-desire. Over-desire. That's what lust is. That's the biblical definition of love. Over-desire. You are overly passionate. You are overly hungry about someone or something. That's what lust is. And when you are overly hungry and overly passionate about one thing, or a person, for example, it isn't really that person that you love as much as your hunger. Right? Lust is really about Consumption. Lust is really about consumption, using someone to satisfy your hunger. Lust is like a Snickers bar, right? That will satisfy your hunger. You're burned with this overwhelming hunger for someone. You don't care about what the person is. You don't care about the fact that that person is an image bearer of God. You don't care about that person's background. All you know is that you are hungry and you want to feast. And therefore you use that person to feast your hunger. Give you an example. GQ magazine, obviously I read GQ, right? So I read a GQ article like a long time ago, it was, and was in the writer went to a diner, right? And there was this young waitress in the diner. He writes about it in his in GQ, and when he saw her, he was intoxicated with her. Right, she was like this young, radiant, legal, right, young, radiant, you know, this creature. Like her perfume intoxicated him. Her hair, her flowing hair, he just couldn't get out of his mind. He just, oh man, like all he could sense was her. He really needed to have her. So I don't know what his game was, but she went home with them to his hotel. And that night, he had sex with her. Next morning, he got up, and she was sleeping next to him. He was looking at her. And he started to see things that he didn't see the night before. Her nose is just a little bit crooked. Right? Her middle toe is slightly longer than her big toe. She had little blemishes. Like in her skin. The more he looked, the more discoveries he made, he realized, oh, I don't want her. He used her. In the moment that he was drunk with her, he really thought maybe he loved her. But when he had her, Ugh. Guys, tell me that's not you. I know you think you love your girlfriend or whoever. But, guys, you know, you got to recognize the fact that me, make, we, even though that guy's a jerk, clearly. There's a certain sense that, that what that guy expresses in all of us. Biologically, that's true. There's a difference between the way we look at women before and after the sex. And you can be in a committed relationship for years, and you can have sex with that person for years, even without getting married. But you know it's true, the more you have sex with that person, the more you get kind of tired of her. Little bit by little bit. You know it's true. How do you know? The longer you sleep with, with someone, the more mistreatment that you, you, you're not, the more you sleep with her, the more careless you become of her. You know, isn't that true? You used to be sweet in your words, but the more that sexual relationship progresses, you are not as careful with your words anymore. That's what lust is. Ladies, don't be haters. You lust too. In fact, the rate of women infidelity is skyrocketing. Compared to 20 years ago, the rate that women have affairs, it increased 40%. The rate of men having affairs is just, like, you know, it's kind of stagnant. It's always the same. Yay. It's always this, the rate of men having affairs. Women in the last 20 years, wow. In fact, studies according you know, to the University of Kentucky, and I guess it's a legitimate study if from the University of Kentucky. More millennial women, millennial women are having affairs than millennial men. Women between the ages of 18 to 29, I would have no idea why they would be married at 18. But like, let's, let's say you're from West Virginia and you get married at 18. Right? No one from West Virginia, right? Hey, James from Kentucky, right? <laughs> so, right? Right? So, so, like, more women in that age group is having more affairs than the men of that age demographic. Women lust. But women's lust is guised, it's disguised. Because men are pretty simple oh, she's hot, I want her. That's it. But women contextualize. Like, women, like, like there's a certain, if there's a guy that she's fascinated about, if the guy guy that kind of respects her and if the guy starts to show desire for her being desired by the guy that she likes is intoxicating so you start to build in your image of your mind who this guy is, that guy could be a total jerk but when you start to discover that the guy desires you that that guy finds you desirable I want him women's lust is very tricky because women think that's love. Women think the lust that they have towards that guy, by the way, it's not the real guy that you're in love with. It's just a figment of your imagination. No guy is that guy that in your mind. No one is, basically. But you're burning with lust for that person. You're just using that person to satisfy your fantasy, just like guys are doing it. Lust is a destroying of someone, using someone as a consuming object. You have no care about the fact that that person is bear, image bearer of God. That person is, is solely for your pleasure, for your consumption. God doesn't treat a human being like that. God loves the human being. He never uses human beings. But we do that. One of my best friends, his wife, right, told in front of her girlfriends, and him and my my friend. He told them in front, he told her friends, yeah, I only married this guy, my friend, because he makes good money. I married him because he makes good money. And she publicly disclosed that. What she's saying is, I'm just using him for his money. Forget his feelings. Forget the fact that he is sick. Forget the fact of anything. I just want him for his money. That angers you, doesn't it? Using someone like that. That's exactly what lust is. Because it's such an opposite way of, of God. That's what Jesus says today. If you burn with lust, you will burn in hell. He's not doing that to scare you. Maybe he's doing that to scare you, but he is stating a fact, right? If hell is a place for you, where people who, who decide to live against the will of God, if that's the way where, what hell is, than using and discarding people, treating people in the exact opposite way in which God has created human beings to be. Living like that, you deserve hell. That's what Jesus says. People say, oh, Jesus talks more about greed than sex. Jesus doesn't give, Jesus is not hung up on sex. And maybe Jesus talks more about greed than sex. Maybe that's true. But Jesus never said greed will, burn, greed will call you to burn in hell. Lust will, Jesus said. Lust will. Because it is opposite in which God loves you. Oh boy. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We got to fight it, right? Onward, Christian soldiers. Marching something, something. We're soldiers. We fight. In the battle we fight, we fight against our lusts. We're called to fight it. Fight it. How do you fight it? To properly fight it, you've got to know the battlefield. And the battlefield of your lust is in your heart. Jesus says, "Out of your heart comes adultery, comes sexual immorality. out of your heart comes greed and, and everything. It is your heart marred with sin. It is my heart tainted with sin that causes us to lust. There is a power inside of us, that inside every human being, that says it is perfectly okay to treat people like that. A heart that does not recognize God starts to think that it is perfectly acceptable to use and discard people as I wish. There's a force in our heart that says it is okay to speak to other people as I wish. It is perfectly okay to treat people as I wish. It is perfectly okay to trample on people, use people for my pleasure, for my glory. It is perfectly okay to use people like that. There is something, a power in you that says that is legitimate. How are you going to overcome that power? How are you going to? Can you overcome that power by making laws? Can you overcome that power by making by by saying what can you overcome by power just by information? If I tell you, if I just tell you exactly what I told you today that if you lust, you're going to go to hell. Will that information cause you to overcome that power? It won't. Look. In the last month or so, there's two high-profile, like Christian leaders, that said adios to the Christian faith. One of the guys, like, did it last week. His name was some Hillsong dude, Marty Sampson. Marty Sampson, are we do we sing any of Marty Sampson songs? Uh-oh, right. Marty Sampson song. Mar, Marty Sampson says, "Oh, I'm not a Christian. There's multiple gods, multiple truths. I'm not into Christianity. Adios, Christianity." One of the Hillsong dudes left. But the dude who started, the high-profile dude who started the departure was this guy named Josh Harris. Josh Harris was a pastor of a of a, of a, a church in Gaithersburg, Maryland, right? And Josh Harris's claim to fame was when he was 21, he wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Yeah. Uh, pastor, Jay, pastor Jay wrote it. And read, not Pastor Jay. Dr. Jay read it. He, read, he, he wrote I Kiss Dating by a sort of million copy. It was a Christian evangelical phenomenon in the 1990s. And his premise of that book was um, dating leads to sin. And that's kind of true. If you take a sinful girl and a sinful boy together, you mix it up, what happened was you, you just you, you sin, right? And he says, to avoid, Chris, to, to avoid that kind of sin, we need to figure out another way that men and women should date each other called courtship. I haven't read the book, right? I think, I think I've read it. I think I've read it. I just kind of forgot about it, right? And he says, he, he devised new ways in which men and women, can, Christian men and women can date. But a few years later, he wrote a book. He wrote another book. Said, I, titled, I Said Goodbye to I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And basically, it's complicated. And in, in, in the book, he says, Yeah, like, I, I, even though I wrote that book, like the first book, I didn't follow any of my rules. Hypocrite, right? And, after, and a few years later, he says, Yeah, I'm not a Christian anymore. Bye bye. And there are many reasons why he left. And I have no idea why he left. But I think one of, the, one of his failings is this. When he was 21, he thought, if you just give Christians new rule, new sets of behavior to date, then that can secretly overcome the lust in our hearts. It doesn't. I can tell you, I can give you a list of why lust is bad and premarital sex. I can give you a list of, Psychological studies are the studies of all these reasons of why lust is bad. But that information is not enough to to overcome the power that is within you. The power of thinking that you're the master of your own destiny. The power that says that you can make decisions of what is best for you. The power of sin. And the only one who can defeat that power Is Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. He was on the cross, by dying for us, by by paying the penalty of, of of our sins. He took the power of sin out of us. I don't know how that really works in a spiritual sense, but that's true. That's the way men become free. And women become free of lust. When you truly meet Christ, when you truly encounter Him, when the power of the gospel truly becomes in you, how you look at other people, how you want to treat other people, that changes. The power of Christ really does change that. The more you're in love with Christ, the more you see Him clearly, that power you feel feel leaving you, look, no, my wife thinks I should, I should have been a priest or a monk, right? She says all, all the time. And the reason why she says I should have been a priest or a monk is because she thinks I have zero interest in women, right? Doesn't mean I'm, you know, playing for the other team, right? Same team. But she, she, she just says, like, I, 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 she, she just knows that I have zero interest in women. Like, ew, right? Right? Okay, once again, doesn't mean that I play for the same, Right? She thinks that way. And we had that conversation a couple of days ago. She said, yeah, you should have been a priest or a monk. And I said, you have no idea what is in my heart. I'm a man. Right? And there's lust. Of course there's lust in here. Of course there is. But what I know is this. When these thoughts come into my head, and they, and they do come ferociously sometimes. The more I praise Christ, I don't know why that is, but the more I praise him, the more I fellowship with the people of God, naturally, I don't know how that explains that desire just leaves me. It isn't, I don't say, oh, I shouldn't lust, I shouldn't lust, I shouldn't watch it, I shouldn't watch it. That's not, that's, it does, that does nothing, right? When my mind and my heart is averted to where Christ is, that desire is no longer there. That's how you overcome it. Power of the gospel. And the way, and, when you are in the Lord, when you are in Christ, not only do you overcome this power, this power leaves you. What happens is, the way you look at other people starts to change. The way you look at other people, really, you start looking at other people the way Hosea looked at Gomer. You really start to look at people the way Jesus looked at those women you start to see the complete picture of that person. And when you start to see the complete picture of that person, really true, it happens in Christ. When you start seeing the complete picture of that person, you don't want to lust after them anymore. I'll give you an example. Robert Pattinson. You know who Robert Pattinson is? Edward Cullen. Right? I love you, but I want to drink your blood. You know that guy? right? So stupid. <laughs> I sparkle in sunlight. You know what I mean? <laughs> that guy. Right? <laughs> the new Batman, by the way, right? You like him, Sean, as new Batman? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, side conversation. So during the frenzy of Twilight, right? Like, like, women were going crazy after him, right? So there's this one woman, he says, when, he was, when they were shooting one of the sequels of Twilight, there's, he says, there's one girl who always came to the set, who was obsessed with him. She always came to the set. And one day he got bored, right? So she could clearly see she was obsessed with him. So one day, Robin Prattens got bored and says, and went to the fan and said, hey, you want to have dinner? So he took her out to dinner. And in the dinner, he laid out all his problems to her. Oh, this is what my problem is. I feel la da da During the whole dinner, he was like trading her as like a personal counselor. <laughs> and after the dinner, it says she never came back to set ever again. Before knowing him, it was just a figment of her imagination. When you actually start to look at someone in the real light, you don't lust after the person anymore. And in Christ, it really does happen that way. You start really to see the other person as the way they are. brothers. for those of you, I'm hopeful that that's not true, for those of you who watch pornography, if you really start to understand that the actors that you're looking at if you start to really understand the brokenness of her family, if you start really to understand the humiliation she faces on a day-to-day basis, if you truly understand that she chooses to have her body used and humiliated by men to make money, if you truly get a complete picture of that person, I don't think you will want to watch her do the thing that she does anymore. Right? Right? Ladies, if you truly knew that the guy that you're fantasizing about, if you truly knew the mommy issues that he has, if you truly understood his sin, the cowardness, the selfishness that he possesses, will you really want to start fantasizing about that guy? You won't. The way out of lust is a complete vision of what that person is. And in Christ, Christ gave you those eyes. My marriage is getting better and better and better every year. I honestly say. Yesterday we had a family worship. We were just praising God for the wonderful things that He's doing in my marriage. And the reason why my marriage is improving is not because I'm a wonderful guy, but it's because the more I am with Christ, the more I see my wife in a complete way. And I want to love her more. Basically, I'm saying, what I'm saying is I love her more than because of Jesus. Don't tell my wife that. By the way, some of you told my wife about what I said last week, shame on you, right? We almost had a fight because of you, but I forgive you, but I forgive you, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, that's, that's what happens. The more, you are in, the more you are in Christ, the more the way he changes, the way you look at another human being, and the more you change, when you, when you have that vision, you don't want to lust after that person anymore. That's how you fight it. You fight it with the gospel. You fight it with the proper understanding of that person. And the last thing, we're going to end soon, that Jesus says, the last way that you fight is you flee. Jesus says, if your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand is causing you to sin, chop it off. If your legs are taking you to place and you don't want to go, chop it off. What does he mean? He means deal drastically with it if there's any part of your life, whether it is shows that you watch or the music that you listen to or the friends that you have with, if all those things are leading you into a place where you should not go, Jesus says, cut those things out. You should cut those things out because that is the best way that you love the people in your life. When Jesus says, fight lust. I think when we think about fighting lust, we think about, you know, we gotta be holy. I gotta say no to my flesh. I wanted to die myself. That's how we think what fighting lust is about. I think that's how guys think. Right? I don't want I wanna watch but I'm not gonna watch Uh, it. The motive of fighting lust is not I wanna be super holy. The motive of fighting lust is love. The way, the you, the reason why you fight lust is because you love God. Fighting lust is the way you love God. The way you love the person that you are tempted to lust after, the way that you love that person, right? It's not, like, the way you love the person is not lust after them. You're tempted to lust after the person, but the way you respect that person, whether that person is on the TV screen or in in one of the people in your life, the way you respect that person is not lusting after them. The way that you love your husband and wife is not to lust after someone else, it's the motive of love. Brothers and sisters who are dating, the way that you love your boyfriend and girlfriend the most is to fight lust. Don't do it. Out of love for them, don't do it. Guys, when we have sex with them, it's true. Biologically, it's true. We want to, kind of used it. We want to leave. But the more women sleep with you, the more in love they are with you. It's crazy. Biologically, that's true. So, if you sleep with them, you want to leave, but they want you to stay. You want to do that to the person? Really? You want to do that? To the person that you love? Don't do it. Because out of the, your love for them, fight lust. That's how you live the Christian life. Our prayer is that God will change us, God will rescue us from the sense of sin in our hearts. God will give us a proper understanding, vision of the the other person so that we will treat them carefully and righteously as he commanded us to be. Let us pray.